to another episode of The Underground Queens, hosted by Kiara and Kiana. Join us weekly as we grind it out together from the bottom, eradicating our perspectives, learning something new, laughing at our pain, affirming each other, because Kiana, you know, that's the most important part, and proudly, proudly stand in the fact that we don't know what the hell we're doing, but I bet we'll figure it out. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another episode and we are talking about money. Yes, money. We have a financial counselor because, you know, we don't know a lot about, you know, money and everything. So we're not going to try to put anything on you guys that we don't know about. We're going to get the expert in here. So we have a financial counselor, speaker. She is Adrian from Taylor Wolf Saver. How you doing, girl? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. No, thank you so, so much for coming. Like, yes. really excited. Like she was saying, it's money season, you guys, and really tax season. A lot of people are getting a lot of money. They getting stimulus checks, getting everything mm-hmm. together for their taxes. And right. we want to help you guys because, we, like we say, we don't know what the hell we're doing. So we yeah, got right. Adrian. <laughs> Who knows what she's doing? doing. To come on here and help educate you guys because we want you all to make wealthy decisions with your money. So we're going to go over credit and budgeting today. So we're going to go ahead and dig into it. Let's do it. I'm excited. So first things first, credit. Adrian, talk to us about credit. Like, what are the different ranges of credit? Great question. So your credit score can honestly range quite a large bit of numbers. So it can start from 300 and go all the way up to 850. I mean, your credit score is basically kind of like your financial reputation. Are you going to be, are you trustworthy to pay your bills back on time? If you say you're going to make a promise financially, do you keep or uphold to that promise financially? Oh, wow. So 350 the lowest. You can't get no lower than that, right? No, 300. Okay. If you go lower than 300, we have a bigger problem at hand. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So y'all, 350 to 850. And then like, what's the idea of credit score? Like, what do people need to be trying to get at to open, you know, those doors for greater opportunity? People, they may be getting denied a lot and not getting approved for a lot of things. So what's the overall credit score that people should be working towards to get greater opportunity? Yes. So the best range for the credit score, um, and I do apologize, but the lowest score you can have is 300. So it can go from 300 to 850. Oh. As, I apologize. I just wanted to add that in. So the Loria score, the, basically, is it, the Loria score is it's an inverse relationship. So the Loria score is the higher or the more money you'll pay in interest. So my favorite number is I prefer everyone to be in at least 700. So I help my clients at least at minimum get to 700. We actually strive for greater because we don't like mediocre, but I would say about the average score is about 580. Anything actually that's not an average score. 580 is pretty low, but anything below 580, you're probably going to be denied for a lot of things. But again, I say 
stay in at least the 700 range. And if so, if someone's at 650, I work with them to figure out how we can get to 700. But basically you want to do that so you can pay as least amount possible for if you have to take out a loan for a car or if you have to get a mortgage or whatever it is, if you have to take out credit, then you want to pay as little amount of money for it as you can. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Now this is a big one. I be seeing, okay, a lot of people, it's a lot of people that are getting into like the credit restoration business, but mm. it's kind of hard to like tell if Let's people talk about are, it. <laughs> for real, because like I was looking <laughs> on somebody pay, like, okay, they doing credit or whatever, but I wasn't seeing no posts or nothing about like, you know, tips or anything like that. So I'm like, are they really like really trying to help people with a credit or is this like a money thing, like a get money thing? Cause they'd be like, oh, um, you can join my team and do this and that. And I'm like, okay, right. what, what's really going on? So how do you identify? identify the real from the fake because it's hard right question so if anybody who follows my page they will notice one of the biggest things I say is say no to credit um not all credit repair is bad but the in my opinion from what I've seen there's more bad than good. There is not one thing a credit repair company can do for you that you cannot do for yourself for free. Not one. So what I teach my clients, especially when we do credit analysis, is how you can work to build up your score, how you can fix your own credit and literally become your own credit repair. Because the companies cannot do anything that you cannot do for yourself. They can't call a creditor that you can't call. You can do the same exact thing. You just have to know how to do it and how to go about the process. Once you know that how, then you're good to go. My other reason I say say, say no to credit repair is because there are so many, well, actually there's a law specifically about credit repair. It's called the Credit Organization Act. And so there's certain things, credit repair companies, credit restoration, whatever you want to call it, certain companies that they, I mean, certain things that they should not be doing. So prime example, credit repair companies by law should not require any payment before services have been rendered by law. Do they still do it? Yes, they do it. But by law, they should not be doing it. So they find roundabout ways to say, well, it's a monthly service fee or something to basically say it's not a fee that you're paying up front for the service. They call it something different because by law, they can't do that. So that's one of the biggest reasons I'm like anti-credit repair. Now, are there companies that do a great job? Yes. Do I know of those companies? No, because I just don't like the practice. I would rather educate someone how to get out of the situation they're in and then prevent it in the future. If you just go and pay someone for it that's not really getting them out of the situation you're i mean you're paying someone they might get you out but do you know the tools or do you have the tools to be able to stay out of that situation do you have the education that's probably one of my thoughts i just i hate seeing credit repair well not that i hate seeing it i hate seeing people being taken advantage of something and they don't know how to prevent it in the future so that do you think think that younger like 20 somethings early 30 somethings are more vulnerable to the credit repair gurus or um counselors i think anybody's vulnerable to it anybody that's in a tough situation or anybody who's been denied credit or anybody who's who is trying to build up their credit to purchase a home for example can be vulnerable to it 
I don't think it matters your age. If people don't know, and I'm not trying to say ignorance doesn't have an age, but it really doesn't. If people don't know, they don't know right. no matter how old they are. So I don't think it necessarily is based off of age. People just don't know. Right, right, right. right. Hmm. And do you That's think good. it's like a um, certain age where people should really start like getting serious about their credit? Because I know me. I didn't know anything about credit till like I was in like college, like almost through. So mm-hmm. I was doing stuff, signing up for stuff and didn't even know that it was involved with credit until like after the fact like when it was important yeah so <laughs> i'll tell you about myself i knew what not to do like how not to get into debt i knew why you shouldn't get into debt, and i still got myself in the situation like my my major in college was economics so i knew literally what not to do and i still did it so and that's not even ignorance that's just stupidity so i'm calling myself right. like my actions were stupidity to get into that trouble that I got into. But I think any age, starting at 18, you can actually legally start to build credit. Some people do it before then, um, but you can start building credit at 18. So I think that's a great time, any age, once you know, once you realize like, hey, I need to start working at this and building it up, then it's a great time to do so. Okay. Right. If you that reminds me of um, how like some people be like, yeah, my mama put my name in the light bill and it messed up mm-hmm. my credit or whatever like that. Th- does that really happen? Like, is that something yes. that really affects your credit that early? Yes. So that number one, that's illegal to do. So when parents uh-huh. do that, I, even if it's a, your own parent who did it, like what they did was illegal. But again, people don't necessarily know. Um, and you can like file fraud against your fa- your parents. A lot of people don't do that. Like I've had clients who have like their parents put, example, electricity bill in their name because they didn't have credit to do it themselves. And I told them like, hey, these are your options. Like you can file a police report against your parents. And they're like, I can't do it. Like, that's my mom. I can't do it. Right. And then I had another right. client who was like, all right, I'm about to do it. Like, <laughs> It messed me up, so I'm about to do what I need to do. <laughs> Go pick her. It just appears that's completely illegal. Um, but some people do what they got to do. Some people don't care. It's illegal. Some people just feel like, hey, I I need something, and I have no other means to do it. But typically, electric electricity companies or utility companies um, will have ways that you can work around. Like you might have to go find somebody that'll co-sign with you for your for your utilities if you have to. But don't if there's a lesson, don't please don't put that in your child's name and set your child up potentially for failure. Right. Right. Wow. So if someone is like really serious about um, trying to fix their credit, like what do you recommend, like some first steps that they should take to get started with that? Yeah, it's definitely. So one of the things that I offer um, is a credit analysis. So during that analysis, we just go through your credit report. So first thing I would say do, regardless if you book services with me or if you don't, is pull your credit report. Like until the end of April of this year, you can get your credit report free of charge once a week from all three of the credit bureau agencies. And all you have to do, and people always talk about credit karma. No, you don't need to go there. There's a website that's actually mandated by the federal government. It's annualcreditreport.com. So pull your credit report from there and it's completely free, number one. And then number two, you can actually see like what's going on. And then from there, if you're interested, you can book a credit analysis 
with me. And I just help my clients go through it and figure out like what we need to do to improve because there's not a one shoe fits all for anybody. People have different things going on. Life happens to people differently. So people have different things going on. So I help us help them figure out like, hey, what do we need to do? How can we better this situation and move on from here? Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. I did not know that. So credit karma is not good for you? Um, I'm a little biased. So I'm not going to talk bad about (laughs) credit karma. But I prefer annualcreditreport.com because that's actually directly from all three of the credit bureau agencies. And the one thing that Credit Karma does provide is a credit score, but that credit score is the Vantage score and not your FICO score. Your FICO score is completely separate from a Vantage score. Like the point difference can be completely different from each other. Right, right. Okay. I think that's very interesting because I've never heard anyone say that like, people's credit repair is different. It's it's unique to them, but that is true because people come from different facets of life and different life situations that you can't read. Like it's not a one, like one, like, you know, copy and paste kind of thing. Right. So so I like that you like to specialize in like getting into people's, I guess, own personal story, financial story, and just kind of like finding their own unique path, own unique journey to like, you know, fixing their credit. And I I just, I'm not, again, I'm not a fan of credit repair. I'm a fan of giving people the education so they can prevent the situation occurring in the future and teaching them like, hey, this is how you fix it. So now once you've done it, you put in the hard work for it. It's kind of like your first paycheck when you earn that. The first thing that you bought, I can clearly remember the first thing I bought my first paycheck. I treasured it because I worked so hard for it. And when you work hard for something, I just feel like you treasure it a lot more because it's yours. You put in the blood, sweat and tears for it. Right. The sacrifice is there. So you definitely appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. So I um, was looking at your page and I see where you were featured on Fox 26 in Houston and you was kind of just dropping different tips on how to save your coins and um, set your attentions and your financial goals for 2021. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, uh, and it's something that I've been actually working on, I said I was going to try to get better with setting a budget for myself. I think mm-hmm. we all say, like, oh, I'm on a budget, I'm on a budget, but what does a budget look like? Like, what is a budget? So I'm going to refer to it typically as a spending plan. So when I say spending plan, I'm talking about the same thing. But a budget is literally the way I say spending plan is advising your money, how you're going, how it's going to be spent. So if you have example, if you're earning a thousand dollars a pay period, you're listing out there's my thousand dollars and I'm advising my money where it's going to go. Because if I don't, my money's going to go where it goes and I have no track of it. The ending plan allows you to reach whatever your financial goals are. If you, let's say you want to go on a trip because COVID has, I feel like I'm on a plane all the time because of my, my work that I do. But COVID has had a lot of people cooped up in the house and everybody's ready to take a vacation. Right. If mm-hmm. your goal is to take a vacation, that's fine. I'm not going to tell people you need to work all your life and never enjoy life. No, enjoy your life. You work hard for your money. Enjoy it legally, morally, and ethically. You do those things. I don't really care what you do. But if that's your goal, then your spending plan aligns to you reaching that goal. It aligns to I'm going to save this much per month and this is how I'm going to save it. And I have rest of this to spend. I'm going to spend X, Y, Z on my mortgage or on my rent. I'm going to spend X, Y, Z on my food. 
and then all of my bills that I have. Or if your goal is to get out of debt, it kind of targets, this is what, this is the process I'm using to get out of debt. Here's where my money's going. And it allows you to be responsible to yourself and hold yourself accountable if you met it. I actually enjoy making our budget every single month. Like it, it's really, it's a lot of fun to me. So um, what I was going to say, so what if, what are your suggestions for someone? Okay. Budgeting is hard for them. And it's like, okay, you got your savings and then you got your check-ins, but some people, like if they see the money in there, me, they, <laughs> they're going to spend it. <laughs> transfer. Transfer. Right, transfer. Let me do a quick transfer. I'll put it back or whatever. And it doesn't happen. So what do you suggest for people who are like that have a hard time with seeing it? Like, do you recommend maybe getting another account or any other uh, programs that can help them to save? Because if they see the money there, it, spend it and get it right back. <laughs> OK, so remember how I said when you know better, you do better or you should do better. Here's an example where Adrian knew better and I didn't do better. So I did the exact same thing. I would have my my checking account and I had my savings account all at the same financial institution. And my savings account legit became an extension of my checking account. It was no longer a savings account because I would transfer money in and out of there, in and out of there. I'm like, this is not a savings account. This is an extension of my checking account. That's all it was. Right. So for me, what really worked well, something I work with my clients to do, here's a free tip, is number one, set up an allotment or during in your payroll, depending on how you get paid, set up an allotment to where automatically a set amount of money, actually, that's not step one. Step one is if you, if your bank is at a credit union, I'll use Singing River because I know that's in Moss Point. So if yes. your bank is Singing River, I don't know if it's a credit union or bank, so whatever. But if you're at Singing credit River. Union. Okay, thank you. So if you're at Singing River Credit Union, you may set up a bank, I mean, a separate account at, let's say, I use an Apple, at Apple Bank. So your checking account is at Singing River Credit Union, but your savings account may be at Apple Bank. What mm. you're going to do is after you open up that savings account at Apple Bank, you're going to go to your payroll and you're going to set up an allotment of however much you want to go per month to Apple Bank. And it's going to automatically go there. With Apple Bank, you're not going to have access to that account easily. You're not going to set up a transfer from that account to the Singing River account. What you will do is go online and check that account only one time per month at most. And the reason why you're going to check it one time per month is to make sure there's no fraud on that account. Other than that, you do not look at that account. And what if you don't have it set up as an external transfer at Singing River, that's going to make it harder for you to get that money. And so you're going to think a little bit longer. Do I really need this money from this savings account or do I not? Because you don't have an easy way to get it. So don't make it easy for yourself. Make it a little bit more difficult. And then that builds up the discipline within you. I like that. I like that a lot because by the time that you are thinking about if I need it, like, you probably going to end up getting paid again pretty right. soon and it ain't even going to matter. So. Exactly. And even if you do set up as an external transfer, it should take about three to four days. So if it's that important, it's going to take you at least three to four days to get that money. You might as well. Right. Let it sit there. Let it sit. <laughs> that was so good. A question, the question I have is for a person who's starting off with a budget, how much should you be trying to set aside based on your income? That's a great question. And that's a question that 
I know a lot of people say like 10%, things like that. That's a question that's personalized per person because everybody's situation is different. And that is one thing I'm not a fan of when people say you need to save 10 to 15. And I've heard up to 30% of your income. Our goal is to save about 40 to 50% of our income. But that's Mm -hmm. because we set our life up to be like that. However, when you have two people or let's say you have a single mother who is working, trying to feed maybe one, two children, my mother, for example, working, trying to feed me, trying to take care of the household, do whatever she had to do. She didn't have the ability. Actually, she did, but she didn't really always have the ability to save a certain percentage. It depend on what was going on in the situation. So right. everybody's situation is very unique. So in my, with the services I provide with my clients, we go through it and we figure out what works best for them because everybody's different. No two people have the same financial situation and because everybody has different likes and different preferences and different goals in life. So because that, I don't necessarily say like there's a set percentage. Should you save something? Absolutely. Save something for your tomorrow self because you worked hard for it and your tomorrow self needs to be rewarded for that. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's good. I think that's actually very smart because I I had... I have heard people say that, like, oh, you should be saving 50% of every check that you get. And it's like, yeah, maybe that works for you. But as a single mom, one income household, that may not be realistic for me every single paycheck or every right. single month. So I do like that. For everybody. I mean, saving is for everybody. Everybody can save. And I believe whatever income you are, you can build wealth. But that wealth may look different for you than what it may look like for somebody else because of what's going on with themselves. So I don't know. There's a lot of judgment um, in the financial community. And that's one thing I think um, financial counselors especially are trying to work to kind of eliminate is that judgment because there should be empathy when it comes to finances. That's one of the toughest subjects for anybody to talk about usually. Right. Well, I have uh, one quick question, though, before we leave. But you just said how that is a very, I guess, taboo subject to talk about. How could you talk about finances, like, say, with a partner or a boyfriend, girlfriend, or even a family member? Like, how could you introduce finances without it being such a touchy, you know, a touchy subject? <laughs> OK, so I'm going to use myself, for example. And I don't know if I'm the best example, but when I decided to start dating, well, when I was dating, but before actually when things now were dating um we pulled when before we we decided to be exclusive I told him hey let's pull a credit report on each other and see what's on the table (laughs) and everybody that's I either get that reaction or get the reaction like are you serious (laughs) why is because not to put anybody on front street but number one I worked hard for my credit number two if we sleeping together, you know everything about me. You know what type of food I like. You know my favorite color. Right. You know all this stuff about me, but you don't know what's going on with my finances. And I don't know that about you. But yet we say money's not the most important thing. Our bodies is the most important thing. But yet we treat finances like it's the most important thing and not your body. Like you're, we're more willing to give our body up than to let our finan- financial situation be known. So when, when we first started dating, we put everything on the table. I let him see mine. I saw his. We figured out, okay, this is what we need to do. If we're going to try to plan to build together, we need to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it was. But that's just, a lot of people disagree with me on that. But finances, whenever you look at the top three reasons, I don't care what source you look at, within the top three or top five reasons for divorce, finances is always listed. Money, yeah. 
Exactly. So prevent that in advance. If there is some type of divorce that happens, I call it the D word. I don't like talking about it. But if that situation happens, it will not be because of finances. It will be something else that's going on. And I think that is such an easy thing that we can fix. It's just something we got to be willing to talk about. Right. Right. Got to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to be with somebody for the long run, you're going to eventually want to buy a house together. And if you don't know how your partner finances is, that could stop you from um, achieving certain goals that you guys have set. That is true. Because and then you think about it like imagine you meet this amazing guy and you're like oh everything's working out you know like what's the deal you know you know you know typically you know you're like oh my goodness and then you find out he has a what you say like a 300 credit score and you're like wow and see I don't think it's like that's not something to break up with somebody like that's not a reason to break up with someone example this was not the case I want to make sure this was not very this is very clear this was not the case if things had a 500 score which he did not. But if he had a 500 score, I wouldn't break up with him. I would right. say, okay, baby, we're going to figure out how we're going to build up from this. How can we work together to build this so that if we do get married, number one, if we get married, we're setting our both of ourselves up for success. Because what was not going to happen was I have a high credit score and somebody else has a low credit score. We get married and buy a house. Now our credit score is kind of average out and my score didn't drop because of you. We're not doing that. Right, right. So it makes sense. It's I'm, That was part of the reason. But the other reason is if we're going to build together, let's legit build together. Like if I'm helping you, you're helping me. Let's work at this together as a partnership and figure this thing out. And obviously, like everything went well while we were dating. <laughs> right, right. It's just that's just one of my requirements. If I was well at the time, that was one of my requirements. If we're going to be exclusive, then we're pulling a credit report on each other because you done been you probably done been with me sexually at this point, or I'm going to eventually be with you sexually, and I'm holding my finances as a higher regard than my body. That's a problem. Right, right. Look like look you in the bed. Might as well we gotta get into the bag now. Right. Gotta see what's in the pockets. Yep. We thank you so so much. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. All right, thank you. You too. Thank you. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. It really was. I took a lot out of it and I hope you guys did as well. She touched on a lot, a lot of great points. If you're 18 and up, this is the time to work on your credit, your budgeting. Don't want to wait until it's too late. Not saying that you shouldn't live your life and enjoy your money. But if you got goals that you're trying to reach, it's never too early to start preparing yourself for that. Even if it's just taking like little baby steps towards it. Don't be like me. <laughs> Wait to the last minute trying to get this and that together. Um, if you don't know about credit, follow our girl. Follow her on Instagram. Like she shares a lot of helpful tips you know that you can start doing yourself like she said you don't have to pay someone if you don't want to because all these things that you're worried about like if it's with budgeting or with credit um you can do yourself but by all means if you need the help you know it's a lot of people out there that are willing to help including adrian she's not only for just about fixing your credit or you know, doing budgeting for you, but she's also about educating you, making sure that you understand these things because what's the point of getting your credit fixed or reaching a savings goal if you're not educated and you're going to end up possibly, potentially doing it again and getting in a bad situation. So if you know better, 
you'll do better. Reach out, you know, when you get that money, you know, do what you got to do and, you know, try to save you something for a rainy day. And remember, you're 100% that queen and you're 100% that king. Oh, my God.